You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Let's read together. If you'll turn to 1 Timothy 4, we'll try to do this in 15 minutes. We have this little block. 1 Timothy 4. I'm going to read this. If you'll read along with me when you get there, we are talking about the labor of teaching through song. In 1 Timothy 4, it says this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousnesses are seared who forbid marriage and require absence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Verse four, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Verse six, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed having nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, and here it is, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive. Hear that, worship leaders, pastors. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope We have our hopes set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both your, yourself and your hearers. So, in verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive. So the labor of teaching through song is what we're talking about today. For to this end, worship pastor, leader, we toil and strive. For to our people attaining godliness, we labor. And we should labor. We should make great effort in writing songs. We should make great effort in preparation each week. And what a wonderful and weighty opportunity we have been given to command and teach the Bible through song each week. As we, who are to be devoted to, quote, the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, as 1 Timothy 4 says, prepare and lead God's people, we should do well to remember that the word of God, among other things, does this. Reveals the glory of the Lord, Isaiah 40 is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Psalm 119. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4. The word of God keeps us from sinning, Psalm 119. 
The word of God is at work in believers, 1 Thessalonians. It is the sword of the spirit. It makes one wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. As we stand before a lost and dying generation every weekend, the word of God makes one wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.15. It makes the man of God complete, equipped for every good work. It stands forever, Isaiah 40. So, as we make preparations each week, we should remember that scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 2 Timothy. The living and active word of God that is sharper than a two-edged sword is available to us to read, to recite, to teach, to sing, to put on our screens, to put on our chord charts, The word of God is available to us. Are we using the word of God in what we do each week? Now, before we begin talking about um, the labor of teaching through song, before we go any further, we need to answer the what and why of worship. And this will be the foundation that we'll build upon. So what is worship? This is is my definition of worship. It's not my definition. It's probably Bob Coughlin's definition or Harold Best's or John Piper's. Probably a good thievery of all three of those people combined. I've put together this definition um, over the years, and this is what I have. Worship is our response in spirit and truth, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in obedience and adoration to God the Father through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. What is your definition of worship? As you stand, and, and again, worship, we, we, we heard this earlier, we heard this yesterday, we know that worship is way more than just singing songs, but what, for, this, for this session, what we're talking about is the labor of teaching through song. What is your definition? As you stand on stage, what is your goal? What is your vision? What do you believe that you are doing? Are you merely entertaining? Absolutely not. Way more than that. So singing the word is what we're talking about. The Lord has commanded us to sing and he models it. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Revelations 5, 15. So why labor to teach through song? What is our vision? When we walk on stage each week, what are we doing? We teach to exalt the triune God and to see by the power of the Holy Spirit the full, conscious, and active participation and maturation of the people at, insert the name of your church, in spirit and in truth, as John 4.23 says. So pastor, leader, we have this great opportunity each weekend to struggle for others who willingly put themselves under our teaching each weekend and hope that their hearts would be encouraged And that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. They must see Jesus. In Acts 8, Philip hears an Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah 53, 7 through 8 aloud. And he walks up and asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? Well, Philip sits down with him. He invites him to sit. He explains the scriptures to him. And the Bible says um, that the eunuch in verse 39, quote, went on his way rejoicing. He was taught the truth before he was merely reciting. Then he was taught the truth and then he went on his way rejoicing. And so theology produced doxology 
It will push itself out into praise. Are we teaching theology to our church? Where the word of God is taught through our songs, the opportunity exists for the informed worshiper to respond to God with their heart and mind, with affection and thought. In John 4, 23, as we've talked about yesterday, Jesus tells the woman at the well, there's coming a time when real worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. We need to figure out what these, what are these real worshipers? What is this? What is this spirit and truth? And so the word of God stirs affections and, and informs minds. And as John Piper writes, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full or half full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. Our biblical theology or study of God, as Boswell said earlier, should inform and propel, push out our doxology or praise to God. Some of the most rich theology in all of scriptures found in Romans 1 through 11, culminating in the great hymn of Romans 11, 33 through 36. Here, Paul teaches wonderful and weighty truths like adoption, fulfilled promises, the gift of the spirit, future glory, election, and eternal security to the Christian churches in Rome. The chapter ends with Paul breaking forth into praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Which was sung. I would love to know the melody of that. Paul's rigorous study of the word of God, which was from Isaiah 40.13 and Job 41.11. Um, found here in Romans, um, informed and propelled his doxology. So just like those in the churches in Rome and Ephesus, those in our churches should be personally pursuing a richer biblical theology by eagerly, quote, examining the scriptures daily, as, first, as Acts 17 says. But that doesn't mean that they are. And so as worship pastors, as worship leaders, um, we have this great responsibility, this great weight as servants of Christ Jesus to command and teach the things that we've been trained in, the words of the faith and of the good doctrine, 1 Timothy 4, 6, and to delight in the law of the Lord, not just teach it, but to delight in it, meditating on it day and night. As we make preparations each week, we should remember again that Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Sadly, some are led each week by worship leaders who are maybe indifferent to the Word of God. Maybe they care more about the sound of the music than the weight of the truth. These are worship leaders that are uninformed and at times indifferent to the living and active Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. The church cannot afford to settle for worship leaders who are capable musicians but incompetent theologians. And so even after a couple years at the village, there were certain words and phrases um, that I didn't understand. Um, I would uh, sing songs blindly in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I remember one weekend, I, I was leading Come Thou Fount, and I had sung Come Thou Fount uh, 500 times by that point. Um, and, uh, and a man approached me and, uh, after the service, and he said, 
Um, oh, I sure do love that hymn, um, but uh, for the longest time, I have not known um, what an Ebenezer is. Can you tell me what an Ebenezer is? And, uh, and as a, a godly and informed worship pastor um, at my church, uh, I immediately thought of uh, a crotchety old man um, named Ebenezer. And uh, for some reason, I had no clue um, what an Ebenezer was, though I had sung it and I had pleaded with our people to get it for so long. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I'm come. Uh, I'm going to move over here, it'll be a little better. Um, and so I, I, uh, I was really shocked at myself. I was embarrassed um, that for so long I had um, sung these words and not known the, the definition, not known the scripture reference. Um, and so, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to sing this together, okay? Um, so here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I'm come. Um, so let's sing this together. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. All right. So we all know this song. It is rich. And I'm sure most of you are way more educated than I am. And so you already know the, the biblical reference of Ebenezer. You know what it means and what it stands for. But what if some of our people did not know? And what if we crowded the, the slides um, to teach? What if we use technology to teach? So let's try this. So we have just sung, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. about this. Here I raise my Ebenezer, stone of help, here by thy great help I come. You will come, O oh God, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. So that was way more than me playing harder or, or, or speaking out to you. That was, in, that was an informed worshiper singing to God from 1 Samuel about this stone of help and remembrance to come. Um, so, so maybe we can use uh, things uh, on the screen or even um, defining a word. Um, oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Yeah, like a fetter. I use that all the time in my language, right? We all do. What is a fetter? Well, I can understand. I'm a smart man. I can put two and two together and see the context of a song. But again, what if someone didn't grow up in church? What if, what if this is the first time they've sung these words? So maybe, maybe make the slide look a little bit different um, and um, maybe a little bit crowded and, and define fetter. Maybe just put fetter, chains, or maybe even next to the word. 
just these are ideas. These aren't, these aren't, uh, this is the way it should be done by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I just want to give you some practical help, um, some ideas uh, when you lead on the weekends. Uh, before the throne of God above, um, let's see here. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. And so my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. What if that scripture wasn't there? And again, what if someone just thought, well, that's beautiful poetry. God's name, our names are engraved in his hands. Well, that's, that's wonderful. That's pretty. Um, but, but, but to truly know that that's from the Bible, we are singing scripture. Um, these are ways that we can, t- earlier today, um, we did, uh, let's see, uh, different key here, sorry. I'm in the wrong key. I'm not going to try to sing it, you know, but, but here, the next slide, we have glory, glory to our God. We have the definition uh, of, of, um, of glory or a definition of what glory is. And so, uh, so the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God, the radiance of his holiness and infinitely worthy and valuable perfections. I sang glory, the word glory for years and had no idea how to answer someone when they said, what does glory mean? I did, I, I knew, I, I did, I said, well, it makes me want to lift my hands. It makes me want to sing loud. Um, it makes me think about God. Well, those are all wonderful things. And yes, that word does that. Um, but, but let's put some meaning to the words that we sing. Um, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. If that wasn't on the screen, would you be able to tell me, if I came to you and said, not be all else to me, save that thou art, would you be able to tell me what that means? Maybe you would. But uh, when I started singing this hymn, I, I, I literally, I, I grew up an unbeliever. Uh, I came to the church of the Lord, I uh, came to faith, uh, started going to this church, uh, and they sang this song, and I remember thinking, what language is that? I have no idea what that means. Um, and so, um, and so I, uh, you know, again, it may look like it's dumbing down what is beautiful. Um, uh, not be all else to me, save that thou art. That is beautiful language. But more than, more than beauty and more than poetry, I want my people the people that God has put under uh, my care to shepherd and to love for, for the time that I have. I want them to understand what they're singing. And so may everything else except what you are be nothing to me, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Um, this, uh, there's another little song um, that we've done before. Um, In Christ alone. Who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. Uh, let's see, we are in uh, verse four. Uh, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. I'm real nervous right now because the writer is sitting right over there. Um, and so I definitely don't want to mess up what he has written. But what if, what if 
our people truly understood and believed there is no guilt in life. There is no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe I, last night, I, I, I went to a strip club. Maybe last night or this morning, I had thoughts that were irreverent. Maybe I, I stand here prideful today in church as this guy is singing over me, this girl is singing over me, and, and I'm just wrecked. And I'm singing no guilt in life, no fear. Of course I feel guilt. I've messed up. I, I've sinned. I haven't been faithful to God, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand, but the power of hell has taken me today as I stand here in church. And I feel like he doesn't love me. He doesn't want me back. And so maybe, worship pastor, minister, maybe you don't use the screen. and Maybe you go from nonverbal to verbal as, as Bob has led us in today, leading us um, apart from the lyric um, into truth. So there was this man that ran away from home and he sinned greatly. He spent all of his father's money and he had no other choice but to come home and work for his father and to be a slave. And, and so he expected nothing more. And the power of hell that, he's, um, that he has uh, experienced and the hell that he has chosen and lived in, he expected nothing less than his father to put him to work and to make him a slave. The father sees him from afar and runs out to meet him and throws his arms of compassion around him and says, my son has been found. He was lost and he's been found. Now let's throw a huge party. So church, you have to get this. His love, we can't even comprehend it. It's deep and wide and, and it's steadfast. And it's not controlled or affected by what you do with your choices that you make. He sees Jesus when he sees you. Well, let's sing that again, right? So this is no power of hell. No scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand. Um, another example of just the verbal, uh, the, uh, the hill song. Uh, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. If you lead this song or something like this song, there's, there's always this guilt in me when I'm being led. I was like, well, I've got I've to gotta raise my hands, I guess. It's, it's requiring me to raise my hands. Um, and so what I've done is, uh, and, and use this example, you know, in other uh, physical expressions or forms, however you hear this to, to use, um, think of it in, in all different ways. But, um, but in this regard, I, um, I stop right before we sing this bridge and the band keeps playing. I say, so we're about to say, so I'll stand. Now, some of you haven't raised your hands ever in church. Um, and so what I want to do is I want us to stand up and I want us to raise our hands. Okay, so this is what I'm saying to the church. And with your hands raised high, you may feel very awkward. You may be bumping elbows and whatever it may be. Um, so this may be awkward for some of you. Now, close your eyes. And with your hands raised, 
I want you to imagine that day when we're standing before God our Father, enthroned on high, and Jesus Christ is at his right side. And the Holy Spirit is among us, and those cool creatures from Revelation are flying around the throne, and they're singing, and we're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, how awkward is it with your hands raised now? Well, that will be one day. We'll raise our hands, and we'll sing, and we'll bow low, and there'll be every physical expression that's been commanded in the Scriptures there will be that day, but God is here among us. You are the temple of the Lord. He is living in you. He is with us today, and so let's raise our hands. Let's emote. Let us physically express where the Bible commands in sitting, even, 2 Samuel 7, in singing, in standing, in shouting, in praying, dancing, do it in the back, in clapping, laying prostrate, Lifting hands, bowing low. And so I'm sure I've gone over time, but I, I want to exhort you to take these things, these, these pieces of paper, or if you have an iPad or whatever it may be that you use to prepare each week and that you lead from, fill that thing with scripture. Sit beside or sit behind uh, PowerPoint or Sunday Plus or Media Shout or ProPresenter or whatever program you have and you as the worship leader, the pastor, sit beside, behind that thing and fill it with scripture, with exhortation, with encouragement, with teaching a biblical truth. They must see Jesus. This is our hope and our end as worship leaders and pastors. Thank you.